Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. You've had plenty of Lutheran aerobics today. Stand up. Sit down. Fight, fight, fight. It's good. We stand on those Trinitarian verses as praise to our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, a lot of great hymns that, that fit right into baptism today. What a joy and a celebration. And in fact, we will also be celebrating a baptism next Sunday for one of the children from our school. Praise God for that. Our gospel reading for this morning, Jesus tells a parable, and you've heard it before. There's a man who had two sons. It's a familiar story. The older son inherits the land. The younger son gets money to buy land somewhere else. The older son is a dutiful, good son, a religious son, who does what the father asks him. The younger son is impulsive, reckless, independent, headstrong. Trouble always seems to find him. It's a parable that Jesus tells in response to the people grumbling about the kind of company that he kept. It's about repentance, but also about rejoicing. You know, the religious types were upset about the fact that he would sit at table with sinners of all different kinds. Riffraff, losers, tax collectors, streetwalkers. Here's a rabbi hanging around the kind of people that you would never see in the synagogue or in the temple apart from maybe lurking around in the back corners and keeping their heads down. If he was who people said he was, why is Jesus hanging around these kinds of people instead of the pillars of the community? Shouldn't he be surrounded by the religious elite, the moral spokesman of their community? No. He's hanging with dirty despicable sinners, and he's eating with them, which doesn't sound like that big of a deal today, but table fellowship in the ancient world was such a big deal. Eating with someone in the ancient world signifies acceptance of them, and to an extent, agreement with them. The religious types hated Jesus for this. So in response to this hatred, Jesus told them a parable which he so often does. Jesus says, actually three parables here, a set of three parables about things that are lost. And the choir so beautifully captured that in that piece for today. A lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. The first two of these parables sets the stage for the third one. The shepherd leaves behind the 99 found ones to find one that is lost. Great rejoicing and celebration ensues. A woman loses a coin and turns her whole house upside down to find it, and then again, rejoicing and festivity. There's the pattern. Something lost, sought after, found, returned, followed by a great party. So this guy had two sons. The younger son wanted his father dead. He couldn't wait for nature to take its course. I want my inheritance now. You're dead to me. You're worth more to me dead than alive. In other words, drop dead, dad. And in a way, 
He did. He gave the younger son his allotted inheritance, gave the farm to the older brother, and settled into retirement. And then the younger son packed his things, hit the road, off to the far country, far away from his father, from his annoying, elitist older brother, far from his home. He went to the far country and did what many young men often do. He wasted and squandered his inheritance. And this is where we get the term prodigal. Prodigal doesn't mean someone who leaves and comes back, as it's often used in pop culture. Prodigal means someone who spends recklessly. Jesus doesn't say how he did it, just that it was with reckless living. And it doesn't really matter. The money is gone. The inheritance wasted. That's all that matters. If all that wasn't bad enough, a famine broke out in this faraway country. Problems stacked on top of problems. It's hard enough to get enough to eat when you're broke. It's even worse when there's no food to buy anywhere. No money, no food, and broke and homeless. He gets a job feeding pigs, which is as close to rock bottom as you've ever heard of a Jewish boy getting. Pigs in Jewish thought and in the the Old Testament are unclean and aren't even supposed to be touched by Jews. And the younger son is dreaming of eating pig food, which is still beyond his reach. Then, there in this far country, stinking like pig slop, he came to himself. He thinks to himself, my dad's hired men live better than this. They at least have food and shelter. I'm going to apologize to my father and see if I can get on as a hired man. I've already wasted my sonship. Maybe, at very least, I can be a regular worker there, just another hired hand. So he left the far country and headed toward home. Now, I can imagine how many times on this long road back home that he rehearsed this little speech that he prepared for his father. Father, I have sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm sure that he rehearsed that speech and as he rehearsed it, he wondered whether his father would accept him back. He'd have every right to turn his back on him tell him to kick dirt. He had no right to guarantee, he had no guarantee and no right to assume that his father would want anything to do with him ever again. In his desperation, he went to the only place that he knew he'd stand a chance, home. That's the nature of repentance, returning home, going back to where you belong. As you all know, especially if you're my age or older, sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. If you get it, you get it. Repentance is returning home from the far country. You stink. You're broke. You're hungry. You're alone. You acted as if your father were dead and wasted all of his gifts to you. But you're returning home to your father's house where you belong. When this son was still far off, just a speck on a broad horizon, his father saw him. He knew it was his son. I can imagine that the father was waiting, watching, staring down that long 
pray for his son every single day. He could spot that son from far away. He knew his walk. After all, he'd seen him take his first steps. So the father has compassion. Literally in the Greek, move from the inside out in love for his son. And he runs down that road which doesn't seem like a big deal to us today, but no respectable ancient Near Eastern father would ever do something so undignified as running, especially towards a son who had treated him so. He runs to him and embraced him, probably getting the stink of pigs and sweat all over his own clothes. He kissed him on his filthy cheek and doesn't even let this poor boy get his well-rehearsed speech out. He cuts him off. He gets partway through and his dad smothers him with joy and affection. He's calling out for the servants to bring the finest robe. Remember Joseph in the Old Testament? Bring me the family signet ring and shoes for his blistered feet. He has the fattened calf slaughtered, something of great value. And in other words, the fattened calf means you're going to have the biggest party you can imagine. A whole community coming together for a party. Somebody get the band, we're having a party. My son was dead, and now he's alive again. He was lost, and he's found. The music started, the wine started flowing, and the party began. There is no bargaining with our Heavenly Father. Every confession that we make, it's made within the warm embrace of His forgiveness. We don't earn our way home. We certainly aren't hired on as an employee. We are welcomed home as a beloved child. This parable is about you. You, the penitent. You, baptized into the Son, you in Christ, embraced by the Father. You are clothed in Christ, in His righteousness. That's what baptism is, being clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ Himself. You are clothed in Christ and forgiven, called to be a child of God. You are that prodigal son. Lost and found and dead and alive. As God's Son has found you, claimed you, redeemed you, raised you, clothed you, forgiven you. It's because of Jesus that the Father loves you and embraces you and welcomes you. You don't reek of your sins anymore. You smell of Christ. You're not soiled with the mess that you've made. You are washed with the blood of the Lamb and clothed with His robe of righteousness. He put the family ring on your finger, which means that you can act on behalf of your Father. You who had already wasted so many gifts. You can dole out God's forgiveness wherever you go with everyone you meet. You can act with his own authority simply by sharing the news of Jesus. You've been given the gospel in your heart and on your lips that welcomes all the other prodigals home too. You know, there's an older brother in this family too. He's not at the party, but he's out in the field doing his work. 
He hears the sounds of celebration, the music, the singing, the dancing, the laughing. He smells the roasted meat, and he comes near to the house and asks the servant, what in the world is going on? The servant tells him, your brother's returned. Your father is throwing a party for him. He's safe and sound. The older brother is furious. He refuses to come near the party. He wants nothing to do with it. Even when his father comes out and pleads with him, he doesn't want to go. He says, look, I've slaved away for you all these years. I've done everything that you've asked me, and I've never gotten into trouble, never done anything wrong, never disobeyed a single command, and you never even gave me so much as a goat so I could party with my friends. The goat has a little bit less meat on it than a fat calf, right? But when this son of yours, who wasted everything on hookers, slinks home, you throw a party for him. I'll be damned if I set foot in that party for that son of yours. The father won't let him off so easily. Son, notice here that the father never disowns either son. He says, son, you're always here. You're always with me. Everything that I have is yours. But it is meat, right, and salutary that we should celebrate. Your brother, your brother was dead and is now alive. He was lost and now he is found. We have to celebrate. And that's where the story ends. It never resolves. It leaves you hanging in tension. Will the older son go to the house for the party or not? Will he join his younger brother to feast at the expense of his father's prodigal mercy? Or will he stew in his anger and resentment outside of a party in which he has a place? Will he rejoice at the lavish grace of a father who forgives both of his sons, the good one and the bad one, who welcomes home the lost, who justifies the sinner? Jesus doesn't say either way. The way that this parable plays out in churches and communities goes either way. Sometimes the older son, the legalistic one, never joins the party, never welcomes that prodigal one. And that's sad. We also don't have any way of knowing how long that younger son stayed home or if he ventured off into the far country again. Each of us feel the pull of that far country all the time. That's called sin. And every time that far country lures us away from our Father's house, we are called back again and again and again. We do this every week. At the end of the parable, which son is lost? The commandment keeper. The religious son. The one who did all the right things for all the wrong reasons. And in the end, what keeps him out of that party? Not the father. He's begging him to come. Not his brother. He is only himself to blame if he's excluded. Jesus told this parable to the religious who imagined that they didn't need to repent and who looked down on those who did need to repent. The ones who grumbled about the sort of company Jesus kept 
for dinner companions. We lifers, we religious people, are every Sunday types who literally grown up in our Father's house, run the very same risk when we begin to imagine that a place in his house is burned, that sinners need to clean up and smell nice before they are welcomed into their Father's home. Only those who see themselves as sinners will rejoice in the repentance of a sinner. Only those who see the rebel in themselves will join this party of rogues and prodigals that we call the Holy Christian and Apostolic Church. <coughs> Jesus, our brother, the Father's Son, went to the depths to save us. He was lost as he dove headlong into the consequences of our sin, but he's found. He was dead in our sin, but now he lives. And you are found, and you live in him, Jesus. And you know what? The Father still has to celebrate. The feast is prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Amen. Now the peace of our God that surpasses all of our human understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ our Lord. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.